Memphis, 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 Nothing but Memphis. Everywhere we go, it's Memphis. Memphis, Tennessee, the beautiful land in the world. And I'm thankful for this, this guy who tweeted and said, I don't have that fire in my eye no more. That game right there was for him. That's what I do. I prove people wrong each and every night, and that's for him right there. Hi, this is Tom Izzo at Michigan State, and you're listening to Grizz 901. What up, Grizz Nation? This is Nathan Qualls back again for yet another one of our deep dive series for this summer. Maybe the last one. We're going to do something else next week. One more before Daniel Greer comes back in, but we'll we'll see exactly what that's going to be. But super excited for this. There's a reason that I sort of saved this as the best for last. We're going to be talking about a man who's near and dear to my heart, one Zaire Williams. Go ahead. Go to my Twitter account at MemGrizzHomer. I've only pinned one tweet ever. And it's about Zaire Williams. So I am on the Zaire train as much as I'm on the David Roddy train. We've all heard way too much about that at this point, but really excited to talk about Z and what he could do coming into this season. So we're going to get into that. We're going to talk a little jitty later on. And because we're going to be talking about jitty later on, I've decided to bring on the latest Grizz lead Grizz 901 team member who will be writing about jitty in just a couple of weeks. One DC, the snapper DC. What's going on, man? Good to have you on the podcast. What's up, man? Glad to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Excited to have you on here. Excited to have you doing a bunch of stuff. So DC is going to be doing some social for us. He's been doing some of the Instagram. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. We now have an Instagram. I promise you, I didn't do it. You can rest assured. I have no idea what's going on there. So DC, Chris, we handle a lot of that. DC is also a photographer. He has his own personal channels. DC, I'll let you throw those out there later on in the podcast as well. But he's going to be doing a lot of stuff, and part of it's going to be some podcasting and some writing for us. But he has agreed to take on the tall task of joining me solo for this podcast today. And so we're going to be digging into some stuff, and JD's going to be later on with him. But first things first, talking about Z season, baby. Coming up, Zaire Williams. We all saw him in Summer League. Super excited for some of the stuff that was there. I'll be honest, I think some people were stretching how he all of a sudden has the handles of John Wall. I would say that's probably not the truth. That being said, I don't think anyone's as high as Z on me, on Z as me. Yeah, I didn't say that quite right the first time. <laughs> but We forgive you for that. That's, that's all right. That's all right. Um, but I'm uh, going to be honest about some of this stuff as well. So we're going to be talking about Zaire and quite the turnaround for Zaire Williams. When he first came in, to the Grizzlies organization, it was not a beautiful, wonderful start. Even from draft night, it was not a beautiful, wonderful start. He went into a spot where I personally, and I think a lot of other Grizzlies fans, had the Grizzlies taken Moses Moody, especially if he was available. And then he was available. Not only was he available, James Booknight was also available. There were a lot of options for the Grizzlies to take someone there that I was really excited about. And then they take this guy who had such a rough rookie year out of Stanford. I honestly didn't even know who he really was. I was like, he was so far off my radar. I didn't even pay attention. So I was bitter about that. And then he had quite the rough beginning to the season, which we're going to get into here in depth in a minute. But before we do that, DC, I'm sure you were with the rest of Grizz Nation when Z got drafted. What were your thoughts well, I guess one, when he got drafted, but two, after his sort of, not sort of, pretty rocky beginning to the season. Yeah, so 
obviously, you know, I shared the same thing. Like, I wasn't super excited about adding Zaire Williams to the team. Uh, the guy I wanted was Frank Wagner. Uh, Frank Wagner. Wagner. How do you say his name? Wagner. <laughs> Wagner. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted him. Obviously, the Orlando Magic took him. I was also, you know, Josh Giddy was linked to us. I wasn't excited about Josh Giddy either. But uh, turns out I was wrong. He That's definitely a guy you should have been excited about. And I still think he would have probably fit better on his team than Zaire. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, I wasn't super excited about Zaire. And when the season started, it was not much to be excited about. Like, he didn't really give us much in the beginning of the season. But something happened when he got hurt. He went into the Matrix and got some basketball downloaded to him. And he came back a better player. He he was more confident. He was just on the court shooting the ball with intentions, uh, doing everything with intentions. Um, you saw a different player was out here. And I also, like the tools was always there with him. He had the size. He had the shot. Um, it was just a matter of things going in his favor. And you start to see that when he came back from that injury. And that's – compare that player with the Grizzly development system – it's hard for me to be out on anything that they do now. Um, this is definitely not Chris Waters' regime. Like, they're not going to draft players and have them develop on other teams' rosters. Like, we're doing that in-house. We're developing all the talent that we bring in. And that's why, you know, this front office earned my trust, man. It's kind of funny. Every podcast, we seem to bring it back to – how Grizzlies fans need to not run to panic. And it started out where I think we were all in a little bit of a panic early on into the summer. And slowly but surely, we are more and more sure of this front office and the moves that they have made going into this season. And a lot of that starts with the moves they made with Zaire. So obviously a big thing with Zaire was they traded Jonas to get him, right? For Eric Bledsoe and what we thought was the ghost of Steven Adams. Now, the big key, we obviously became a fan favorite very quickly. Um, I knew we would love him for his attitude. Did not know we would love him for his play, but lo and behold, we love him for both as fans of the Grizzlies. And that's all fine and well, but at the time being, that was a high cost to pay, giving up your leading scorer, really your second best offensive player, probably yeah, best. He just pe- some games too, like, like Jonas – gave you like some 30 points when you needed that performance from that guy exactly right it's like well who else are we going to go to we didn't have another surefire option but they took the training wheels off but when they use that 10th pick to take a guy who none of Grizz Nation really wanted him to take there's a lot of trust issues that came in and the beginning of the season was not helpful to that cause to say the least. Right. And so a lot of that is mock draft driven because it was slotted. He was slotted to go 17. Right. Okay. Who was picking at 17, the Grizzlies. So why would you trade up to pick a player? You could have just took at 17. Somehow we think the mock draft is exactly how things are supposed to go. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? So when we look at the mock draft, that determines what we think about a player. Have we not had that mock draft? our opinion of a lot of players wouldn't be there because we would have to just wait and see what they do to form that opinion. Exactly. Listen, there's a reason that the people doing those mock drafts work for Yahoo sports and aren't GMs. It just right. is what it is. The same reason that we quote unquote work for Grizz leading Grizz 901 <laughs> and we're <laughs> not GMs. Right. And so 
that's why when people were saying, oh, LaRavia was slated to go way back later and Roddy was, I'm like, listen, if they moved up to get those guys, they did it for a reason. You know, I trust Zach Kleiman more and I trust myself, Yahoo, CBS, anybody. So rest easy, Grizz fans. And with Zaire, it would have been the same thing. And it's really not that hard to see Zaire going ahead of 17. You know, if the Grizzlies took him 10 and now we've seen what he can be, it's not hard to envision a team taking him before that 17th spot and the Grizzlies could have gotten him, right? Very, very easy to see. It also facilitated the Grizzlies taking the training wheels off and getting a guy who ended up being a better fit than Jonas for this team with what it was going to be. So all that to say, trust that climbing. But getting back to the beginning of Zaire's first season, those first 19 games were a struggle. The man looked like he had, I mean, I say the man, the kid, Looked like he had no place on an NBA court. And, I mean, he was, what, 19 years old going Super into that? Skin. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, he's about as thick as my pinky going yeah. into that season. I mean, it, it, it was a kid, but then he played like a kid. He, they were giving him minutes, and it was frustrating as a Grizzlies fan to watch because it just played out. He looked a step slow, but then the stats played out that way too. His field goal percentage through those first 19 games – not wonderful. This three-point percentage, 24.6%, less than great. And then his plus-minus for that over that entire stretch was a minus 61. (laughs) These were 61 points worse when he was on the floor, right? And so it was one of those things where the eye test matched what the stats were showing. Which was, yeah, I was gonna say, and you felt that too. Like the yeah. stats that you read with Zaire, when you was watching him play, you felt that in real time. So a lot of fans was questioning, like, why are you sacrificing games more or less, or your ability to win certain games to develop this guy who's clearly not ready? Yeah, and it was an obvious betting on themselves moment. And mm-hmm. meanwhile, I'm watching Moses Moody just chill out on the Warriors bench, and I'm like, man. Just swap him. Just swap him. Why didn't we take this guy? And then Zaire got hurt. And when Z got hurt, it was one of those things where you don't want to see anybody get hurt. But my thought was the team will be better with him out. Just will be, right? And listen, I didn't really go back and look and see whether team was better with him out or not when it came down to brass tacks. But I felt better when he wasn't playing. I didn't super miss Zaire when he wasn't playing. And then you get all this talk. I I think we had a period to where we were playing a little bit better. Uh, Like the flow of the game went a little bit better. But then he came back. And then he came back, right? And I think that was the biggest thing was he got to sit on the bench and watch that flow. And he got to watch that chemistry and the way the team worked. And he said himself, he got to watch that play out. And in the last 43 games, I mean, it might be the biggest in-season turnaround I've ever seen for a player. I was shocked because I was not completely out on Z I was at the place where I was like maybe next year and that was honestly being generous I just didn't see it you know I was like okay I can see where that could happen as far as this potential of this huge long forward that can knock down shots work in space but I was like I don't see it happening yet and then he comes back in his last 43 games blew me away so you take those stats the 35.3 percent from the field sorry 35.4 percent from the field the 24.6 percent from three 
Do you know what he did over the second half of this season for those? Yeah. 48% from the field, 34% from three. So he matched almost his, his field crazy. goal percentage from the first half of the year from deep, right, on a lot more attempts, right? He had played 43 games versus 19, 48% from the field, which is nothing to write home about. These are not superstar numbers. But if you go look, that's about what John Morant's percentage is. Now, yeah. I'm not so, saying Zaire Williams is John Morant, right? But what I'm saying is, it is a good field goal percentage from something that was not just bad, terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. I noticed like, he started taking a lot, a lot more lobs when he came back too. So I'm mm-hmm. not really sure what he was doing before, but like he somehow seemed to like being being able to like like see the floor in a way to where he can he can make those cuts. And Josh saw, saw him. It just he was a lob threat, and I don't think he was a lob threat before he got hurt. No. And that was what I was actually about to get at is he was the biggest thing was you could see the game slow down for him. Right. These stats just approve the eye test of, okay, Zaire knows where he needs to be. Now he is able to be in the right spots. He's able to make the right plays. And that's what flipped everything for him. Right. That field goal percentage isn't because he got that much better at shot making in his time off. He was injured. It was because he took the right shots more. He put himself in the right position more. When he took his threes, he took them in rhythm more. He took them from the right spot. And he was so much more comfortable in the flow of the game that he's not sitting there forcing these shots or second guessing whether or not he should take them. He just took them, right? And all in all, it resulted in a huge turnaround with that pivotal moment really being, I think, the Philly slash New York road trip. Do you remember that? I do not. Not in detail like that. Okay, so you will. You will. Because the Philly game was when Ja was popping off besides from the free throw line. Brutal game from the free throw line. Okay. But they went to OT with the Sixers. He had missed – Ja had missed the free throw and one attempt at the end of regulation that sent the game to OT, basically. Okay. And then in OT, at the last sort of chance of the game, I think the Grizz were down by two, and Ja was driving. Zaire was open in the corner. He dished it to Z. Z missed the shot. He missed the corner shot. Chris lost it. the game. And it was everybody, including myself, was like, I love Zaire. He's made a huge turnaround. That's not the guy we need taking that shot, right? That's not the guy I want taking that shot at the end of the game. And let me be clear. I still want that to be John Morant, like 12 times out of 10, right? Want that yeah. to be John Morant. That being said, Josh said, we've got faith in this guy. I will make that pass again whenever it happens. Two nights later, their very next game against the New York Knicks, Josh struggled. He had, like, I think 23 points or something like that, but it was on, like, 24 shots or something. You know, it was like 23 points right. on 23 shots. Not a great night. Meanwhile, Zaire comes out. He has 21 points on nine shots. I think he shot, like, 82 84% from the floor and 60% from three and was just all over the place making plays. And it was, like, Head and shoulders, one of the best players on the court, right? I think it was him and Jaron that game really went off. And Evan Fournier, because Evan Fournier had like one of those Evan Fournier games that come out of nowhere. But with a huge reason the Grizzlies won the game, I mean, was making clutch threes in clutch time, right? And it was the very game after he missed a game-winning shot. And that was the moment I was like, this guy fits. And that really defined his entire rest of his, rest of his rookie season. I mean, that minus 61 – 
turned into a plus 122 for the entire season, which means he was plus 183 when he came back from injury, right? Just a right. complete net positive. It was, I mean, truly, it was the biggest turnaround I've ever seen. Have you ever seen anybody turn around midseason like that? No, it was crazy what you just said. Like, all this is happening is a rookie season. Like, it felt like you were describing two seasons, like just now about Zaire. But all this is the same season as his rookie season. Um, obviously, we saw what he did with the time out there. He was hurt. Um, man, I cannot wait to see what he's going to do over the summer. Like, we've seen some of him in summer league, of course, and we saw the things that he was working on. And, you know, that was a little bit tough in the beginning, but he figured those things out as well. And I, that's the type of player, like, you give him time off to study basketball and learn basketball, he's going to use it. He's going to use it very wisely. You see that on the court beside you. Yeah, and that's actually probably the next thing I wanted to take it into was what we saw in summer league and what that could mean for him coming into this next season. And so there were some things to take away from there that I thought were really important. And there are some things to take away from there. I did not think were as important. Um, I think the one thing that was pretty overblown, just to be honest, I mean, I guess I'm no, there's no negative Nelly in me about Zaire Williams. I am completely all in, but the ball handling aspect was, it was not impressive, man. I don't know some was, people really wanted to push it as like he could be a great secondary ball handler. Not from what we saw in summer league, man. <laughs> he was not comfortable with the ball, right? His passing was great. I thought he had great vision. He made some really good passes. I thought his turnovers was when he was trying to push it, which is what you do mm-hmm. in summer league. So the passing, great. I think that helps him within the flow of the offense. As far as ball handling, though, Man, like, there's nothing to write home about with that ball handling. It's not necessarily the ball handling. It's his playmaking ability. He don't really have that. When he's handling the ball and he's looking to score, he's better at it. When he's handling the ball and trying to set guys up, that's just not naturally what he does. So it's going to look wonky. So, uh, of course, you know, we have a job on your team. That's the guy you want with the ball. You got Tyus. Um, Zaire, can he bring the ball to the court and, like, look for a shot? Yeah. Uh, I could see him doing things like that, but I don't think he's going to be like a Kyle Anderson or anything with the ball or, you know, I, I just think he could do that in spot minutes for sure. Yeah. And that's the big thing is we don't need the ball handling to be very improved, right? Like we just want him to be good enough to be able to work within the flow of the offense. And right. that's what he was able to do, right? Like if a guy was open, he was able to make really nice passes to guys if they were in a position to receive that pass. And mm-hmm. he was able to dribble enough to set up his own shot. And that's all you need, right? We don't need him to be Kevin Durant, take it all the way up the floor and yeah. just hit that little shot from the mid range. It would be you know? nice, but yeah, it's not well, listening from Zaire right now. And the one asterisk I'll throw in there and the one little caveat is Desmond Bain and his last summer league wasn't, a great ball handler either you know people love to talk about the leap Desmond Bain made in his ball handling that was between summer league and the season he was still cracking the hardwood when he was in summer league right it was but he was in a situation to see what that looked like in live play and how he could improve that and then he did he never made a huge leap as a ball handler in the playoffs he got trapped in the corner too much was still not super comfortable with the ball but he made a big jump. Zaire can still make that jump 
in between the offseason and summer or coming into next season. So could he be a great ball handler and a great facilitator in that way? Sure. Is it there yet? No. Do we need it to be there yet? No. Which leads me to what you said, which is what I think is the biggest thing to take away from that is his ability to create his own shot. And so I actually, I told you I was going to bring this in here. There's a tweet from NBA University at NBA underscore university that I saw this morning that I will be finding a place in the article for, no doubt about it, of Zaire's mid-range game. All right, and Zaire, listen, said it on the last podcast, I'll say it on this one, I'll say it on next one, probably everyone till the end of time, I love the mid-range game. The mid-range game is just a thing of beauty. It's a lost art. I love it. And Zaire crushes at it. And so in this tweet, he was talking about his, he went and looked at every mid-range shot, and the pull-up games or Zaire's pull-up shots in those games shot 57.7% on the mid-range pull-ups. Very nice. Thing of beauty, man. I mean, there was a point where I just got super confident in that shot. I got almost as confident in that as I did in a jaw floater. (laughs) You know, it was a beautiful shot. his shot is a thing of beauty anyway. Like, the way he shoots the ball is just so smooth, so soothing. Like, just watching him shoot the ball. And he's so tall and long, you can't yeah. defend it. I mean, the one that I always come back to is when they were playing against the Cavs. I don't remember the exact situation. I'm trying to see. I, he might be in this video coming up, but it was getting towards the end of a game. It was, I think, that really tight game where Ja eventually had the layup and then the game ceiling steal. But it was, yeah, it just played fourth quarter, less than five minutes to go, two-point game. End of the shot clock, Jared Allen is guarding him. And he does a little hesitation dribble move, gets to the corner, uh, corner of the block, just hits it over Jared Allen. You know how long you have to be to hit a shot over Jared Allen? And he nailed it. And I think that is going to be the biggest thing for Zaire. Consistency in the three-point game, right? I like to see that 34% jump up to 35 to 37%, if not higher. But the mid-range game, he was able to get to it in summer league. He used his body, which is still not super thick but he was able to use his length to back down on these smaller defenders, create just enough space to then rise up. And they couldn't guard him. I mean, there was times he didn't even create space. The guy was right on him and he was like, what are you going to do? And just shot it over. That is what we need from Zaire Williams. Cause that's something the Grizzlies don't have. Make no mistake about it. You have Ja, who's a great scorer. Baines is a great shooter. Jaron is a unicorn. We don't have anybody who just uses their length to get a jumper off whenever they want nobody Zaire being able to do that gives them someone to go to for that that is a mismatch that he showed in summer league he could have the consistency to always exploit and if you have that it's just such a tool man such a tool yeah and you mentioned his body earlier like he got more confident in it like he's not wearing the the shirt under the jersey like so He's been working out. He's, he's trying to show the guns off, man. And uh, I love to see a confident Zaire. Um, it just makes his game so much more better. And, um, like, this whole team, this whole group of guys is just, they're really locked in on the summer. Um, I'm not sure what kind of uh, structure that the, the organizations get, give them over the summer, but they take that to heart, man. Those guys work on their game. They come back stronger, faster, better. And they're more prepared for the season. Uh, you saw that huge jump Bane made last year. It's just, it's crazy. And, like, why can't Zaire make that same type of leap? Um, or a similar type of leap. I don't want to, like, 
you know, put expectations on him. But I just think, like, uh, a guy like that, student of the game, just wants to get better, Jim Sharks, I just think that they're going to just do the right thing over the summer um, and help this team in a tremendous way. Yeah, man, and I I think that is coming in full force. That tweet that I have posted on my account is, who do you think is going to make sort of the jump next season? I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it pulled up. And I said, Zaire Williams is going to shock some people this coming season. He averaged eight points this past season. I say minimum he averages 12 points this next season. I I lean towards getting up to 13, 14 points this coming season. It's But he also going to have more opportunity as well. You got mm -hmm. a couple of guys that's not in the rotation anymore with uh, Kyle Henderson and Melt just being off this team. Zaire is going to get some of those minutes. He's going to get some of those opportunities. He's going to get some of those shots. Then you also got Jaron starting the game all uh, not on the court. Mm -hmm. So where are those shots going to go? Well, Zaire seems like a logical candidate for that. So he's going to definitely have a lot of opportunities to show what he's been working on over the summer and um, have a a, a really great impact on this team. Yep. Listen, shout out Dylan Brooks. We love him. I think those shots need to go to Zaire. And that sort of brings me to what I, I sort of want to get on to wrap up Z before we hop into Jitty here in a minute, which is what do you think his role is going to be coming into next season? And I've been on a bit of a soapbox so far, so I'm going to throw it to you first because I definitely have in my mind what I think he's going to do. But heading into the season, what do you think his role is? Starter, bench, you think he becomes a third, fourth most shot taker on the team? Or do you think he sort of stays sort of secondary unit? Six seventh shot taker on the team. What, what do you What do you think? Are we talking about Zaire still or or JD now? Zaire, Zaire. We'll get into JD here in a second. Okay, so Zaire, um, I think it's possible that he could start in place of Jared, uh, not as the four, but like maybe the three. And he probably push Dylan to the four or something like that. Um, when you think of guys you might trust on the starting unit, I think he's one of the guys that would you will probably trust. So I definitely think he's going to get minutes with the starting union. And that's him with Ja. You know Ja going to find him for at least probably two laps a game. Um, they just have such great chemistry together. Um, Zaire, man, um, he's definitely going to start start off with opportunity to, to put an impact on his team, on his roster, and just kind of propel the Grizzlies. Because those games are going to be important. That's going to kind of dictate – you know, what are we going to do with this season and, and how that's going to look? So it's hard to make up for a loss of a, a player like Jaron Jackson Jr., a guy that's seven foot, that can shoot from outside, can score inside, and defend the the, the paint. But um, I think Zaire is probably the logical choice, and he's going to definitely be starting, at least until Jaron come back. Yep, and so I've, I've got it sort of written down here on – who I think would be the primary guys in the rotation. And I mean, this is not a spoiler alert. I've said this before on the Dylan Brooks stuff. I've said it before on other podcasts. I think Z should start in that three spot while Jaron's out to begin the season. Um, Possibly look at putting Dylan in a true six man spot. Once Jaron comes back, there's a lot of moving parts there with not just play, but ego and how that will play out. So We'll yeah, see. well, they have the stones to do that, though, because a lot of fans been kind of curious about him coming off the bench for a long time. And you've mm-hmm. just never seen that happen. 
And then when Dylan goes off and does Dylan things, who checks him? Yeah, I don't see anybody checking him or holding him accountable or anything like that. So would his organization have the stones to say, hey, Dylan, you're coming off the bench? Well, I think it's more of, will Dylan be able to check himself and rein himself in? Um, and I've said this before. I said in our, the past article I wrote on Dylan Brooks, I think he will. Um, and if he doesn't, then I don't think he's going to be able to fit on this team long term. I don't think he'll get another contract with Memphis because you got to be able to fit in around Ja, Dez, and Jaron, especially maybe as year if he continues to stay on his upward trajectory. Trajectory. God, yeah. coffee and no Adderall people, I'm telling you, it's a bad <laughs> combination. But back to Z. I think Ja will take more shots than him. Dez will take more shots than him. I think Dylan will take more shots than him, whether he, he should or should. man in his contract to take more shots than Zaire if he's on the same team. Yeah, I'm thinking that he's going to take more shots. But I think Zaire, until Jaron comes back, probably the fourth most shots taken on the team, if I had to guess. Um, BC might be up there with them. Tyus, depending on the game. But I think when it all averages out, it'll be Zaire fourth behind Jadez DB. And then when Jaron comes back, he'll probably be fifth, if I had to guess, in shots on the team. And I think that's about where he needs to be. I mean, right. I think there's a good chance he probably ends up deserving more shots than Dylan by the end of it. But if Dylan takes more shots than Zaire, that's not going to drive me crazy. If but Dylan's contract a, dealing is different, so we'll see how contract dealing does. Listen, we all remember contract dealing. Then we remember what happened after he <laughs> signed the contract, so let's hope it just plays out this time. But, yeah, I think Z you starts. You him one-year contracts and then just you keep getting contract dealing. <laughs> right. But I think Zaire starts, and I think it'll be really good because defensively, and that's one thing we did not hit on so far in this podcast, and we probably don't have a ton of time to go into it, but defensively, Zaire last season – Man, that was maybe the thing I was most excited about was watching him guard guys like Steph Curry and use his length. Because Steph, listen, Steph can cook anybody in the league. He's that good. But Zaire was making him earn shots. And listen, he hit a lot of shots on Zaire. But it was not to the – It's still Steph. So. It wasn't Zaire's fault. Yeah. It was like he was able to hit these fadeaway – I mean, and when Steph hits those fadeaway <laughs> – free throw line jumpers he has to almost lay down to get that shot over him and then he just did and he made it and you're like okay what more do you want but he used his length throughout the regular season and playoffs to disrupt passing lanes to stick with guards to use his length on some smaller forwards he's got the length and the tools to be a great defensive player and you saw those pieces come together which is something i'm crazy excited for heading into this year um, I don't even know what his stats were defensively last season, but I'm sure they weren't crazy impressive. But you could see, same thing, the eye test showed you what he's able to do defensively. I think he'll only get better at that this season. And then having him next to Dylan is going to be menacing for opposing offenses because Dylan showed he could use his physicality to guard Cat in the playoffs which is, yeah. I, I don't think that's a flash in the pan. Listen, should Cat have found a way to exploit that? Sure. Dylan makes it hard on you. Dylan plays a style of defense that makes it hard for you to use your size because he's just, he's a strong dude and he's not just going to back down. So that's a viable thing to be able to do. Dylan can guard the bigger forwards. 
And then they can switch because Zaire's got the lengths where Dylan has the phys- physicality and the toughness, right? And I think that's going to be dangerous. Dez is better defensively than people want to give him credit for. And then you got Steve-O able to clean things up in the paint. So I'm super excited for that from even a defensive standpoint. But any more thoughts on Zaire before we move forward on to Jitty Main? No, nah, I think I think we tapped out on Zaire, man. We said all need to be said about the guy, man. Super looking forward to what he's going to do next season. We know the type of guy he is. He's in the gym, working on his game, working on his body. And uh, he ready to show the NBA. So and we're ready to see it, too. Yeah, we got it. We got to move along because I will talk for three hours about Zaire Williams and how excited I am for him heading into the season. But for now, we're going to get jitty with it. We're going to be talking about fan favorite cult hero, Menards not sponsored, John Conchar. <laughs> jitty man, for the city. Jitty for the city. Listen, <laughs> he has been, I don't know if you say anomaly. Uh, I don't know. There are no correct words to describe John Contra, uh, Conchar up to this point other than fun. He's a fun guy to have on this team. I mean, every time somebody gets a dunk now, everybody in the Grizzlies, it doesn't matter who dunks it, just hashtag dunk shot. Hashtag neat, hashtag sports. I, I love Jitty, but um, everybody loves Jitty. That being said, he's going to be in a different role this season. He's going to go from sort of a gadget, plug and play type guy to a true rotation guy. We think, right? Anything can happen, but we anticipate him filling in that role for DeAnthony Melton off the bench. And so we have somewhat of a sample size for Conchar playing real minutes. I mean, he played about 18 minutes per game this past season in 72 games, which is not a small amount, right? That's a decent amount of, of true amount for an NBA player, but that role is going to expand this season into something much bigger and different than it was. So DC, you're going to be the guy riding on Jitty here in a couple of weeks. Yes, I am. With him coming into this season, filling in a different role. Do you think he's going to, truly fill in that Melton role? Do you think that's the way they're going to want to use him? And if so, do you think he's going to be able to do it well? Well, last year I used to say, like, the best thing about having Jitty in your roster is not having to use him. You know what I mean? Because he's a great player to have as depth, like, you know, to tap into. But if you're relying on a player like that, then that means some of your better players is not playing. Um, obviously, some of those guys got traded away. We lost Kyle Anderson, huge defensive player. Uh, we talk about getting his own shot. He he slow as hell with it, but he he would get his own shot as well. Uh, he operated in the mid range sometimes. He he had the size to get rebounds and and defend some of those bigger guys. You losing a guy like Melt, who's super active, um, way 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 more active. His three point shot got better. Um, and he was just all over the place, and then you get Jitty. Jenny is not quite as active as Melton, but he gives you some of the same things that Melton gave you. Um, and he gives you less of the bad stuff, too. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Grizz is going to try to harness more of the good stuff that, that um, Jenny can provide. Or are they going to look to package him somewhere else? I don't know the answer to that question. I think um, they're going to definitely give him a, a trial period to kind of see is he, if he's ready for that role. And kind of see what they got there. They don't do anything without data. So they're going to look at him at that role and see what he could do with that role. And then if it makes sense for them to move forward with with uh, Jitty on a roster, 
they're going to do it. If they think that they have a better opportunity elsewhere, again, those productions that they're missing from Milt and um, Kyle Anderson not being on the roster, uh, they're going to look to move that contract somewhere else and get a better player in that, in that in position. I, I think I'm with you as far as the trial period type thing goes. Mm-hmm. I also think that having guys like John Conchar is going to have to be the mode of operation for the Grizzlies moving forward because Jaron's contract kicks in this year. Jaws extension kicks in next year. And then you're going to have Dez extension kicking in sometime. And if BC stays around, he's going to get an extension. The money and the flexibility they've had for so long is not going to be there anymore. You're not going to be able to go and pay guys like DeAnthony Melton or perhaps like a Jordan Clarkson that could come in or something if the Jazz blow up, which they will. You don't get to do that anymore. you got to have really good value contracts. I think that's what Contrar is going to prove he is this year. Because you look again at last season, he played 72 games, played 17.9, so basically 18 minutes per game, shot 51.5% from the field, shot 41.3% from three, right? And what is, oof, free throws actually not very good. We won't bring up that number. <laughs> that's pretty okay. bad. 55% from the free throw line, right? He would have been better. Yeah, and that's that's odd. Um but then you got his rebounds, 4.6 rebounds, one and a half assists, steals, blocks, 0.6 and 0.3. He is never going to be a jump off the page type of guy. What he has proven himself already to be is do all the little things right type of guy. Right. Yeah. And what he proved last season was that you can stick him in the wing or in the corner. And if you throw him the ball, he can knock down a shot. Right, that forty-one point three percent is not off a really small sample size. I mean, it was not a huge sample size. For you know, DeAnthony Melton shot what um hundred or three hundred seventy-three pointers last year. I want to say so it's not that big, but one hundred thirty-six three-point attempts. Or I'm sorry, not one hundred thirty-six three-point attempts. That was two-point attempts. One hundred twenty-six three-point attempts went 52 for 126 so he can consistently knock down those shots he has a nose for the ball can go get rebounds he's able to keep up enough defensively I don't love him as a defensive player I think some people do I don't really see it but he's able to do enough defensively that he's serviceable for a bench unit and then he can just fill in and do all the little things and be in the right spots and for the Grizzlies you got to have that kind of guy going forward you just have to because you can't afford to go get Mr. Do Somethings, you can't afford to go get Clarkson's or the elite role players all across the roster like you've had. So I think Jetty, if he proves that this year, and I think he will, will be long for the Grizzlies, you know, Um, simply out of a money place. But do you think they're able to find guys through the draft or even free agency or trades are able to fill that in for the same amount of money? Well, yeah, but before we go to that, I want to say, like, with Jitty, like, I'm curious about how he's going to approach the season. Obviously, he's been, like, a, a lower end of the bench type player, like, most of his career. I think all of his career is fair. Um, he's higher on the bench. Like, I'm not sure if he's going to be the sixth player, seventh player, but he's higher up on that. So, like, his mentality have to be, like, 
okay, I'm one of those guys that need to be taking these shots. I'm one of the guys that need to be making things happen. Is he going to come with that attitude, that that motivation uh, to play like that? Uh, Melton got super aggressive, you've seen, uh, over his time here. So if we get that from JD, like, I think those stats are going to go up for sure. Um, as far as getting that production from um, younger guys, as far as rookies in the draft, I think this is a team MO. You was talking about, you know, the guys that we have to pay and things like that. I, this team is aware. And that's why I love this front office. They know they're a small market team. So they know, like, okay, the way that we get better is through the draft. Like, we're not going to get Kevin Durant. I know he's been linked to the Grizzlies. But, like, those type of players don't come to the Grizzlies. Uh, you don't you don't sign top-name free agents. Kevin Durant, one of the greatest basketball players in the world, playing at OKC with Russell Westbrook. Like, what, what big-name free agents they got in OKC? Like, and those are two Hall of Fame, future Hall of Famers. We love Ja. Ja's incredible. Ja's a superstar. But great players don't come to the small market team. They just don't. They don't happen often enough. So the way they get better is through the draft. So they had four shots at that. And, of course, like, I, I don't doubt them at all. So I'm I'm crazy enough to think all four guys going to hit. Like, that's just how much confidence I have in what I've seen from this front office. Um, could be wrong. I might be wrong, but I'm just that crazy. And I'm crazy enough to think that every guy that I wanted in a draft is going to suck. I said, I didn't get picked by the Grizzlies. So uh, <laughs> that's that. <laughs> I, I think all four guys sitting a stretch, but maybe four of the five. I, I always forget that Kenneth, Kenneth Lofton was not drafted. He was unsigned or undrafted free agent that got signed. So I, I sort of have him working out over Vince Williams Jr., but. Again, I said Vince Williams Jr., hype for him is Cam Johnson, right? He could come out, end up being that. I think we'd all be pretty happy having that on the Grizzlies team. I'd fill in a significant need. But with Jitty, I think there is a definite chance he gets overtaken by a David Roddy in the rotation, maybe a Jake LaRavia in the rotation. But the thing about Jitty, and I was just looking at – another guy's stats to sort of compare him because when you're talking about him being more aggressive, I agree. And I think we sort of saw that from him. He sort of found ways, you know, he had the hammer donks, he had the posters that got everybody excited, sort of seemed like they came out of nowhere. But I think that's his value is he picks his spots and knows when to do that. Probably a little bit better than Melton. You know, every once in a while, Melton, he would sort of get tunnel vision. And listen, I've been a huge Melton fan, still love him. Still wish he was on the team. Wish him the best in Philly. He also would get tunnel vision and take some like step back shot with his ankles on the three point line. I'm like, dude, that's the worst shot in basketball, man. What are you yeah. doing? And you got tunnel vision like that. Conchar doesn't. And his p- minutes that we've seen him play, granted, it's somewhat limited, but it's not super limited. And he just sort of picks his spots to be aggressive. And other than that, he plays within the flow of the offense. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing that he does this year that helps him jump out is he takes those aggressive moments and he picks those spots where like, oh man, Judy can do that. But you never see it coming because he's always playing within the flow of the offense, always making the right pass, always making the right play and being in the right spot. And that reminds me of the other guy I was looking at, Alex Caruso. And so I was looking at Caruso's time with the Lakers a second ago. 
And his stats is in the championship season, he had a bit of a jump in minutes, which is when why he was able to get that big contract with Chicago. But they were not dissimilar to Conchar when he was in the season before he took that, the Lakers won that championship. They were almost identical, actually. Yeah. Conchar's ability to sort of make that jump into something like that. Listen, he's not going to be, as Caruso's obviously a point guard, plays a much different role in the teams he's on. But Conchar could play the same style of game where he is always in there, popping the ball around, facilitating, making the right place for everyone around them. And the next thing you know, he has that cult hero moment where he hammers one down on a big or he makes a huge shot in the last seconds of a, a game. monster rebound or... Yeah, yeah, 18 rebounds, whatever he had that one game, right? Um, and I think he's able to do that in a way that people underestimate how hard that is to replicate and that, that skill is to have to always be in the right spot. It's why I love David Roddy. It's why David Roddy is a guy I could most see overtaking him just because from a pure athleticism and ceiling standpoint, he's higher than Conchar. But Conchar just has his nose for the ball. And I've argued back and forth with Daniel about this a lot because Daniel's like, I can't see it. And I'm like, I was there live in Salt Lake. And then you saw it a lot at the end of Vegas. He just had a nose for it. He was always going after it. And he just had that grit in him that you can't replicate. And I think Conchar has a quiet version of that himself and yeah, be more aggressive. I think he needs to turn the volume up on that though with Conchar. Um, he, he needs to like stop looking at himself. Like I'm glad to be on the court with these guys and start looking at himself. Like I'm one of the guys, you know oh, what yeah. I mean? I'm good enough to be here. And he is like, I think JD, the things he provide, obviously, um, his his call into the NBA is like the the hustle stuff that he do, like the, the extra rebounds he gets, and uh, and just being super active. Like he gets a rebound, you know, don't expect him to get one. Like and it's timely, like something that you probably need that possession. And um, I want to get aggressive shooting threes. Like I want to see JD shoot maybe three threes a game or I, more. I, I agree, and I don't think he had the opportunity to do that last season, but I think that he did flip that switch last season. I think that's why you saw him start to just drive and throw down left-hand dunks on dudes is because he was able to flip that switch and say, oh, I can do this, and I feel Mm -hmm. the freedom to do this. But Mm -hmm. I do think he, a lot more last season than we would think, just caught in shot balls. He'd catch it in the wing, and he'd just launch it. Didn't think about it, just sent it. And then that's why he shot 41% and had that jump, right? That's the most he'd had since his rookie year where he shot 50% from three on 10 attempts, right? So that one, yeah. we, that's sort of an outlier, but he had a jump last season at 41%. I think because he, he has that confidence. And I think that's what he'll show this season is he knows he belongs. He doesn't force the fact that he belongs, though, which I think is a big one for guys. I yeah. think it's why he fits so well and why he's going to be a good contract value going forward. But with that, do you think – the last question I say about that, do you think one of these rookies – gets playing time over Conchar at any point this season, whether it's LaRavia or Roddy. I don't think Kennedy Chandler would be a good fit for that. So I'll nah, say Roddy I, I and LaRavia. I don't see Chandler uh, being a, a major factor on the court this year. I don't see uh, Vince William being a major factor on the court this year. Uh, um, <clears throat> I think Junior might get some time on the court, just being that he's a, a big guy. He's definitely getting himself into shape. Mm-hmm. And Jaron's going to be out. So you're going to need somebody playing at four. Um, Roddy, Aravia, 
those are bigger guys you, you're speaking of. So, mm-hmm. of course, I, I could definitely see those guys overtaking Jitty. Jitty is like, like I said earlier, like the best thing about having Jitty is like not having to play him. Um, so any opportunity that you can get as far as getting a better player in that position, you're going to take that. Um, I'm excited about those guys you named, though, like Roddy and LaRavia and also Junior, even though he's an undrafted free agent. Uh, just the flashes that those guys shown and the improvement that you've seen already in a short period of time. I just think those guys are ready. They're locked in and, and they're just ready. They got chips on their shoulder. Like Roddy was supposed to be drafted in the second round and a team picked him up in the first round, traded a guy for him. Like, what did that do to his confidence? It's like, okay, I'm here. They want me here. They showing they want me here. I'm going to give this team all I have. I think I can sense that from Roddy. Um, Junior, on the other hand, every team passed him, including us. And we got him undrafted. So that chip is going to be like, okay, y'all thought I was too fat or too big to play basketball. I'm going to show you guys y'all making a mistake. So, and, and Jake, I think Jake has a really good pedigree uh for basketball he had to improve on a lot of things as far as defense and everything but his shooting is crazy already um I was kind of giving getting Bane vibes when he was shooting like okay this guy probably not gonna miss whenever he shoot um this team loves shooting yeah this team loves shooting so Jake can definitely give you that so the two guys that you name uh Roddy and Jake I think those would be the candidates of replacing GD um and if I had to lean one way, I might say Jake might get um, a look just because of the shooting. Um, Roddy, he can also shoot in it as well. He's probably like one of my favorite players out of that bunch just because I watched a lot of YouTube video of him before the draft when I was thinking about guys the Grizzlies might get. And I seen Roddy and I seen like the type of things that he can do. He can shoot. He can back down. He got a not sexy game. And I can see his game frustrating guys, but it's effective though. It works. And, you know, it's just all depends on how fast he get comfortable and how, you know, he can pace with the, the speed of the NBA game. So I'm trying to look through this and think about it a little bit. I think Conchar starts a two guard off, or no, I'm sorry. Um, he begins the season as two guard off the bench. <laughs> Sorry, okay. he he's not going to start at two guard. But I'm looking at this, and I'm trying to look through the rotation. One of those guys is going to play next to him at the three guard, I think. So you're going to have BC, or the, sorry, the three spot, not three guard. You're going to have BC coming off the bench at the four, I would guess. Maybe the five. But that's sort of where I'm looking at this is, you still want Contra out there. You don't want to put Roddy and Laravia out there to start and then have BC and maybe like Tillman or Aldama out there. You don't want that to be Tyus, two rookies that you're going to be needing to rely on for shots and all the little things, plus BC and an Aldama or plus BC and a Tillman, right? So you're still going to have them out there. I think if anything... You have LaRavia probably starting at three because he, like you said, he has sort of that shot that they love. He has the pedigree. 
I sort of lean like I want them to put Roddy there because I was more impressed by Roddy in summer league. But I think that is a spot where Conchar could start losing minutes as they say, okay, we're going to put Roddy at the two now. because we expect him to be able to keep up with the shooting guards. Even if we don't think he can keep up with point guards super well. Then you have LaRavia at the three, BC at the four. But you could even see something where it's Tyus, Conchar, LaRavia, Roddy, BC. You know, Aldama impressed at the end of summer league. So there's a chance they start giving him that second unit five time. But I think Conchar keeps those minutes. I think if anything, it's Roddy taking those minutes away. If Roddy just gets to the point where you can't keep him off the court and you've got to be able to play him and LaRavia is doing well enough that you keep yeah. playing him. Other than that, I don't see any reason to take Contra off the court. He does too much of the little stuff well. And like I said, he's going to be a value contract going forward. So I think he is the bench two guard. And I think he's that for the entire season unless he gets hurt or someone, unless it's David Roddy, specifically David Roddy, who just becomes unbenchable, right? I think all of their minutes are going to be rolling in pencil, though. I don't think anyone's going to be – necessarily locked in those minutes. I think you, you might see games to where you might see uh, a Kunchar instead of uh, Roddy. You might see Roddy instead of LaRavia some games. And it's going to be like a, a rock, paper, scissor with those guys. Like It's, it's going to be what we need at this moment. And I'm, that's what you're going to see. I'm with you, but I think Conchar is in the pencil was a little bit harder to erase. <laughs> I think you got Tyus in, <laughs> in ink. You got BC in ink. And then you got Conchar and your favorite number two pencil. And yeah. then you got LaRavia and Roddy with your mechanical pencil. <laughs> so okay. That's how we're going to go with that. <laughs> but I think that's the bigger chance of the consistent flip-flopping is LaRavia versus Roddy. Who's going to be in that lineup. I think Conchar is in there unless something extenuating happens. And I think we're going to be really impressed. Listen, he shot 41% from three. I was super confident when he was letting it fly last season. He does all the little things as far as rebounding goes. And he's good enough on defense. I don't think he's great on defense, but he's good enough. So I'm excited for JD heading into the season. Not nearly as excited as I am for Zaire and my boy, David Roddy. I love David Roddy, but I think David Roddy gets, gets his shine in spite of Conchar doing well, not because he's filling in for Conchar because he's not doing well. So I'm excited for JD heading into the season, but that's about all I have. Any final thoughts on JD? No, I mean, that's a good problem to have, man. Like, so many guys able to play or contribute to a team, and you're just trying to figure out which ones you're going to play. That's a really good problem to have. So, um, no, no final thoughts, man. I think we kind of touched everything. Yeah, man, listen, excited for that. Great first pod having you on, DC. Did awesome. Tell us a little bit about the stuff you're going to be doing for us. With one, you know, we got the article coming out in a couple of weeks, so excited for that. But some of the other stuff you're going to be doing for us as far as social, photography, et cetera. Yeah, so um, as he mentioned, I am a photographer. Uh, a lot of my work can be found. Uh, hashtag, not hashtag, but you can't hashtag it. But I'm <laughs> DC the Snapper on everything. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, DC the Snapper. Um, we're starting an Instagram page, which I – since I'm on Instagram more, I'm, I'm tasked with the challenge of building it. So I would really appreciate y'all if y'all follow because it makes it easier for me to post content and get reaction if there's someone actually looking at it and responding to it. Um, we also have a Facebook page too, Grizz Lead on Facebook. 
I already had some followers on that because I converted the page I already had over to Grizzly. So uh, just continue to add to that. Yeah, I'm just going to be active. I'm just going to help out wherever I can. Um, I'm not a writer, but I'm going to try my hand at it and see how it goes. I got some guidance of some really talented guys. So I'm going to lean on them so hard. I leaned on them earlier. I'm going to continue to lean on them. And uh, we're just going to do everything we can as far as just getting content out there that Grizzly fans can enjoy and consume and feel like they got something from it. You know, that's our goal is to feed you like actual food with nutrients. And um, yeah, I'm happy to be a part of that. Yeah, go check out DC stuff. Check out the social. Listen, just be thankful. I wiped my hands clean of that and Daniel did as well. Because we are basically good at 140 characters or less, and that's about the end of our social expertise. I wouldn't even call that expertise, but DC's got some really good stuff. Go check it out. Like he says, he's going to be doing some writing, some podcasting for us as well. So going to be a lot of good stuff coming out, some exciting things coming out. We might even have some TikToks later on, which will be mega embarrassing for me. There's no <laughs> chance I don't blow that when it comes around, but some exciting stuff going on. Again, that Zaire article is going to be coming out probably tomorrow if you're listening to this on a monday so either tuesday or wednesday of this week and speaking of some exciting stuff we're gonna have some exciting podcast things coming up so next week we have one more that is while daniel greer's on sabbatical we're gonna have a probably just a little bit of screwing around podcast i don't know we'll figure out something to do hopefully there'll be some kind of grizz news we can talk about other than that we'll see it'll probably be pure chaos but after that we will have the 100th episode of the Grizz 901 podcast. Cue drums, whistles, whatever you have in there. That is going to be the week of the 12th. So Monday, September 12th, the 100th episode. And Daniel Greer is going to be returning. So you no longer have to listen to little old me talk exclusively. I'll probably be on there a little bit somehow, some way. But we'll get one more podcast next week. And then we'll have the return of Daniel Greer. Super excited about that. Going to have some cool information coming out, some cool developments when he comes up with that. So stay on the lookout for that. And in the meantime, again, we're going to have some articles coming out. Got the Zaire Williams article coming out next week. And then we're going to start doing two deep dives a week. So we'll have the Zaire one coming out on Tuesday or Wednesday again. And then on Friday, Luke Hatmaker is going to be making his article debut with a Tyus Jones deep dive. So stay on the lookout for all of that. We're pumping out more content. We're having a ton of fun. Grizz summer is still going for us. We're heading into Grizz fall basketball. Less than 60 days, man. That's super exciting. It's kind of crazy. Football hadn't started yet, and we already get to start talking about basketball. Soon. Man, it goes fast, bro. <laughs> it's, it goes fast. So we're super pumped about it. Again, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for reading. We cannot thank you enough. So much fun interacting with you guys and getting content out for y'all. So stay tuned for all this exciting stuff coming up. And until next time, be nice. Tell your friends.